I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So this is the Syrup Arcade Cast, Mobile Syrup and Syrup Arcade's gaming podcast. I'm your co-host, Dean Daly, and I'm here with the pod's other host, Brad Shankar. How are you today, Brad? Are you excited for all these things, PlayStation? Uh, I'm great. Thanks for uh, hosting this again. Um, I'm yes and no. We'll get into it. Uh, some mixed feelings. <laughs> All right. That's cool. Cool. I, I have the same thoughts, so, but uh, I'll ask you about that in a few minutes. Uh, and we're here with our special guest, Mobile Syrup's one and only Patrick O'Rourke. How does it feel to be in this the guest seat, Patrick? This is how I wish it always was. I, I, I never want to host a podcast again. I just want to like show up. I got no notes. I got nothing. I'm just here to drop drop knowledge, and and that's that's how I want it to be moving forward. Honestly, I, I, that's basically how it is now, isn't it? You guys barely do your podcast. Although it's been a while for us, and we haven't had a podcast since March, but that's because we had two in March. So I figured, yeah. why have one in April? But I still I still got to host it, and I, I I never wanted to host a podcast. It was just bestowed upon me, and and here I am, five years later, still hosting it. Yeah, that is awkward, and I feel bad for you, but we're talking about the gaming podcast today. Sorry about your woes. Let's move on to some real gaming talk. So we have a lot to talk about today. Uh, we're going to go over the PlayStation Showcase from yesterday. Uh, it won't be from yesterday when you're here in this podcast, but for us, it was yesterday. Um, and we're also going to talk about a few big of the game, like big game announcements, not announcements, sorry, big game launches of the last few months. Uh, we're... Uh, gonna start with Legend of Zelda, Tears of the Kingdom, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, and we're gonna end it off with a little bit of Redfall. But first, let's start with the big news. Yesterday, we saw 12 minutes of Spider Man 2. What did you guys think? Starting with the major Spider Man fan, Brad. Yeah, I mean, that was easily the showcase, the, the highlight of the showcase. I mean, that was what everyone was kind of expecting to see. So it wasn't really a surprise, but it was still, I think I was surprised at how extensive the gameplay demo was. Like, it kept going. I was sure. It was going to maybe be like five or six minutes, but I think it, it, like you said, it ended up being over 10 minutes, which was crazy. And it was all gameplay, which was nice because one thing we'll get into with the other games is that there was a lot of cinematic trailers still, which I'm just really tired of seeing in these events. Uh, so it was nice to just get raw gameplay footage, uh, like a really sizable demo. It looked very polished, very pretty. Um, I think it answered a lot of questions about the kind of the flow of the game because we knew there were going to be two playable characters, you know, Peter Parker and Miles Morales. Uh, so kind of seeing how the, the the dynamic between the two of them works, we're kind of going back and forth. And then even reading on the PlayStation blog later, how they kind of share like a skill tree. And so you kind of um, upgrade them both at the same time and stuff like that. Like, uh, I think it looks great. looks fantastic. I, uh, I'm a little surprised we didn't get a release date still, which is kind of weird, especially because the Tony Todd who voices Venom kind of suggested it was going to be September um which he wasn't supposed to say um so i don't know if that's still the plan or it was coming later i mean red um starfield is supposed to come in september i don't know if they'd want some space from that but uh yeah i thought it was amazing 
I also thought it was amazing, uh, but let's hear from Patrick, a uh, person. I don't think you've ever played any of these Spider-Man games. I I played, uh, Brad got me a code for the, the first one. Um, okay. and I, and I brief, I briefly played it maybe for like two hours or something like that. Um, yeah, like it's, it's hundred percent, not a, a Patrick game, right? Like I'm not into superheroes. Totally. Uh, this type of third person action game doesn't really appeal to me. Um, that, that said, like. I enjoyed how excited you guys were about it. That was great to see. But like, how did it look to you? Like, did it look like, I know that's not something like you're interested in playing yep. yourself, but what are your like thoughts of the, like you saw you, you play games. You, that did that look good to you or did that look kind of like just a game? It's like it's, it's tough. Like, so it looked cool, but to me, <laughs> this is going to sound bad. It didn't stand out in any significant way. Like compared to other third person action games that I've played okay. before. Right. Like, Someone who knows nothing about Marvel, pretty much nothing, very little about Spider-Man. Um, there wasn't anything that like I saw and I was like, oh, shit, I need I need to experience that. I need to play it. This has convinced me to like play a game in a genre that I typically wouldn't delve into. Um, but that's not to say that it looks bad or anything. And I'm, and I'm glad people people are, are hyped about it. I thought the fact that there's and this is going to make me sound super old and out of touch, but like. There's two spider guys in it. Like that was that was cool. Um, is there co-op in the game? Like, no, no. Is co-op. that something? No. Okay. Because that's what I was gonna gonna ask you guys. Was it felt like there should have been a co-op element when I saw that portion of the trailer? So it's interesting that there's there's not. Yeah, they confirmed. I believe Insomniac confirmed the day before um, that it's just single player only. Um, which to me, I love, I actually hate sharing my games with other people. Like, yeah, I hate sharing I my world. Um, I agree. So I, I, I think, that. I think focusing on a two player or two character campaign that's single player is the better call because I look at games, like you mentioned, Redfall we'll get to, or even like Gotham Knights where they feel like the, the multiplayer stuff kind of feels tacked on in a lot of ways. Like Gotham Knights should have just been a single player, like superhero game, but it felt like it was kind of like forced co-op and it wasn't mandatory but it just it felt like it had a bit of an identity crisis i think focusing on a single player experience is probably for the best i i I agree with that and like as we can see with the suicide squad like they're going back it looks like they're going back to the drawing board with that right like they Mm -hmm. look like they saw that no one really liked what was going on and they're like "Hmm, maybe and i it'll probably still be co-op but I, or maybe I actually don't know. But, yeah, there's uh, no way that they can change fundamentally yeah. change like the core of what the game's about. They can like polish some of the things, but it's still going to be the same yeah. game, right? But even like the there was a outrage after that 12 minute trailer, or I think it was seven minutes. But uh, yeah, I mean, I personally was I, I saw the Spider Man uh, tr- uh, gameplay. I was really happy of seeing so much gameplay. Uh, I was really happy, like and like. And, like instead of like a just CGI trailer, uh, I was really happy with what I saw. I'm super excited. It looks like uh, both characters, like Spider Man, is kind of was kind of as I wouldn't say his height, but he was really like he's freaking Spider Man in the first game, right? You play him like that for the whole however long that campaign was, but to see now that he's a little bit venomized um, is really cool, and then to also see Miles kind of get new like it looks like he's become stronger and has become more of a realized spider-man um and again it was only 12 minutes but i was like yeah this is what i want to see 
I uh, the only game I've ever platinum in my life is the Miles Morales game, which is only cool. like ten hours long. Um, but anything of Miles in my life, I think I want to platinum from now on. So this is a game I plan on spending a lot of time in. The the one thing that I I could probably say as someone who knows nothing about these things is the combat looked very fluid. Like that was something that did catch my eye, um, particularly with. <laughs> With the black colored Spider Man, whom whom I'm assuming is Venom, is is that what Peter Parker. is that correct? Peter it's, Parker, okay. yeah, it's Peter with Venom symbiote. Okay, he'll become Venom later. The Got symbiote it. will okay. become Venom later. The combat with that character did look neat. As someone who knows nothing about anything, it seemed very fluid. There was like a flow to it um, that I haven't really seen before, particularly in like a third person action game. So that was cool to see. For me, you know, kind of just touching on what Dean said, you know, to get nerdy into it, I do like that they're kind of diving into like the whole symbiote side of it because that's a very like interesting sort of darker story to go through. Uh, it's very much Peter Parker sort of dealing with like his inner demons and kind of the symbiote like feeds on his his anger. And we kind of saw that viciousness in the combat, which is cool. And I think what's interesting is having Miles in the story because we've seen the story of, you know, Peter Parker being corrupted by the symbiote many times before, but we've never really seen it with Miles in the, in the picture. So I kind of like the idea that Miles is going to have to kind of re- redeem him, probably. Like, there'll be some sort of conflict between the two of them. Maybe you'll even have to fight Peter as Miles. Like, it'll be interesting to see stuff like that. And then bringing Craven into the fold, again, to get even more nerdy, you know, one of the famous stories with him is, like, Craven's Last Hunt, where he hunts the black suited Spider-Man basically kills him, buries him alive, and then takes the persona of Spider-Man and just basically shows, Oh, I can do everything Spider-Man can. I'm better than you. So it's, it, there's a lot of stuff that they could, they could uh, draw from with this. And I'll just also just add like, not even just on a story perspective, but you know, so many of the uh, games on the PlayStation five have been cross gen. Uh, you know, that was the whole thing with PlayStation at the start of the generation where they're like, we believe in generations, except they really didn't because everything was cross gen uh, horizon, God of war, miles Morales, Gran Turismo, they all came out on both consoles. So this is one of the few games that's actually only on PS5. So I'm really curious to see how the larger city, you know, the faster load times, uh, all that stuff is with a game that was like built for the ground up for PS5. So it is only on PS5. Yeah. Okay. That, that's cool too. That's what I was kind of aiming at when I was like, do you like, I want to see that game. Like I, I, the only pure P- PS5 game I've ever played, I think was Demon Souls. I don't think I've ever had any any other one. There hasn't been. There haven't been a lot. I mean, Ratchet and Clank, which was also from Insomniac, Uh uh, and which also had dual characters switching back and forth, which is probably where they got some inspiration from. Uh, Returnal was also only on PS5. Okay, and that's pretty much it in terms of like the exclusive games. Uh, Yeah. To be fair, it's some third party stuff. It's the same on in like Xbox land too, right? Like yeah, there's not yeah, many yeah. games built from the ground up for even just the series S and X. Like it's very, though rare. in their defense, they were very candid about that was their approach going. Sure. In. Sony That's was fair, yeah, very, yeah. Sony's whole response to Xbox is, Oh, we're better than that. We don't do last gen games. And then narrator, they did every last gen game. So yep. uh, you're right. very hypocritical on their part, so, but yeah, I you're right. Xbox s- does the same thing. Yeah, so I'm very excited to see that. Uh, I have like a widescreen gaming monitor, and I just love to have <laughs> get so absorbed in the, absorbed in the games. But let's move on from Spider Man. Uh, any other big announcements from yesterday that you guys were happy to see? And this time, let's start with Patrick, who uh, is mostly an Xbox gamer, but you do have both consoles. So, was there anything that you were like, I should pick this up, or I want to review? Um, I was excited to see Marathon. 
Um, I've always been a fan of Bungie's games. Like I like the Halo series, obviously talk about it all the time. Um, and I, I did like I'm not still playing Destiny, but I did play it quite a bit when it first came out. It's probably one of my most played games of that particular year. And I, I dropped off it, so I'm not still playing it. But the idea that Bungie now has the freedom to do something new and different, they're not kind of like shackled by the Destiny franchise or they're able to do something totally new um, it is exciting to me. And I like their shooting mechanics and something about that trailer, something about the marathon trailer really caught my attention. I don't know. I was talking to uh, Chris Brown about this earlier. I don't know if it was the music or like kind of like cyberpunk inspired visual style with all these bright colors, something about it. Like even if it wasn't from Bungie, I think I would be excited to see what it ends up being. Um, I, I have no I'm old, but I have like no connection to the the marathon franchise. I never played the earlier games on Mac. They're they're like from 96. So it, I missed the boat on that. But I think it's also cool to bring back an old franchise. I always I always like to see that happen. The one thing I would say is I I really don't want it to be a battle royale. I want it to be, either be an arena shooter or a team based shooter or something different that we haven't seen in the last couple of years because there's so many battle royales out there. Um, and we kind of really don't know what it is. We think it might be like a team-based game of some sort, but it's it's still a little unclear. But I would say that I was excited about. And then um, Metal Gear Solid 3, I played a little bit on the Vita, but I never finished it. So I'm as I I never finished any game, well known for that. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to, to dive back into that because I enjoyed the survival aspects of, of that particular Metal Gear. Well, and just to add on to the Bungie thing, that's a really big get for Sony. Um, not even just because they used to be with Xbox, which is obviously kind of weird to think about, but they v- said very clearly that their their ambitions with buying Bungie was to use their sort of like live service expertise to help them launch all these other live services that they're planning. Like Sony said something like, I believe it's 10 live service games they want to launch by 2026 and they're going to use Bungie to help with that. So I think Marathon in and of itself is obviously very interesting. And then just knowing that Bungie's in the fold and helping them out with those other games uh, is something to look for, look out for. Yeah, There's like a development documentary that was released this morning about Marathon that I'm, I'm going to have to check out because I think it'll offer a little bit more insight into what type of game it is. My guess is it's a first person shooter, right? Like that's Bungie's bread and butter. That's the, that's a Patrick game through and through. Um, I just, I, I want to know more about it. Like I, they, they got me hooked. I'm interested. And now I, I want to understand what they're trying to build with it. Um, yeah. Uh, Brad, you, how about you? I, I assume you're going to say Metal Gear as well. No, actually, um, okay, cool. that, that doesn't really do anything for me, even though Metal Gear Solid three is my favorite game. One of my favorite games of all time, uh, just because we didn't see any gameplay. It was a cinematic trailer. We don't know anything about the scope of that. Like, is it like a, Final Fantasy, they said it's faithful, but I mean, is it like a Final Fantasy VII remake type thing where that's faithful to a degree, but it also takes a lot of risks and it drastically changes the combat? Or is it more like a Demon Soul sort of thing? We don't know. Um, is it? Is me, it like, um, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but just out uh-huh. of curiosity, is the, I don't know, I, I guess it's, you, we don't really know yet. You just said that, but is it a, a remake or is it just like a remaster that's what i was unclear about after seeing the the reveal 
No, it's definitely a remake. Like it'll okay. be like modern, like PS5 style visuals. They're actually re-releasing the original Metal Gear Solid Three on PS5 later this year. So that'll be. I don't think they're remastering that at all. I think it's just probably going to be the HD version that was on upresed and and press probably. Okay. Yeah, but uh, so that'll kind of be the original version if you want to play it. To me, I would have kind of liked like a Mass Effect Legendary Edition style update where. It's the original Mass Effect 1, but the gameplay is a little improved, like the shooting, because I feel like Metal Gear Solid 3 holds up very well in a lot of ways. I just feel like the mechanics could be tightened up a little bit for modern sensibilities, but otherwise, I don't think anything needs to be changed for that game. Uh, For me, I mean, I think what was interesting is they opened the show with, uh, which is such a terrible name, Fair Game Dollar Sign. I'm assuming it's supposed to be Fair (laughs) Games, but like... um, which is the new IP from Haven, which is actually a Montreal-based studio. It's it's uh, PlayStation's only Canadian studio. Uh, they acquired them last year. Uh, they were founded by Jade Raymond, a very prolific Canadian producer who started Ubisoft Toronto. She started EA Motive in Montreal and worked at Stadia uh, before that all imploded. Um, so that's a very <laughs> interesting... I was honestly very surprised to see that because that studio literally just celebrated its two-year anniversary earlier this month. So it's like... It's very early to see their game, which is kind of a problem in and of itself, in my opinion. I wasn't expecting to see them because that game's probably still years away. Um, and it kind of feeds into my larger issue about just seeing so many cinematic trailers. Like, I don't really know if you needed to show that. And that's supposed to be kind of like a payday style heist shooter. And from what we're seeing and hearing about Marathon, maybe that's like an extraction shooter as well. So they're both kind of similar genres. So what is it an is extraction kind of shooter? Like what I've I've seen I've heard that name thrown around a couple times the last few days and I'm I'm like not familiar with it at all. Yeah, I, I don't play a lot of those kinds of games, so I kind of had to familiarize myself with it. From what I understand, it is kind of like payday where it's not necessarily like a horde horde mode, uh, like Gears of War style horde mode, but it's kind of like you have to like procure resources or money or whatever the the gimmick okay. is while you're like fighting off against enemies. So I think like even like Call of Duty zombies kind of has a mode similar to that and i'd like that you have to to like exfiltrate after the afterwards right that's my kind of game i think i would like that i think from what we're seeing but again it's pretty vague right that's the thing both of those games are years out and we got cinematic trailers for them so it they're kind of underwhelming reveals to me and that kind of touches on my larger issue like i saw a tweet from shinobi who's like a popular twitter account um who tweets about games he said he doesn't really feel like he knows more about PlayStation's first party plans now than he did before. And I think that's well, a good point because we, other than Bungie and Haven, which we weren't really expecting to see, we didn't get an update on like any of their live service games. Like we didn't get the Naughty Dog, a Last of Us multiplayer. We don't know. We know Gorilla's working on a Horizon multiplayer because that got leaked. We didn't see anything from that. Corey Barlog, who did the first God of War reboot, um he's working on a new game presumably for the last four years we don't know anything about that and obviously these games aren't ready to show but then that kind of begs the question of why are you even doing a showcase then because this is the first playstation branded like playstation showcase branded thing in over a year and a half right and i just feel like with that comes a lot of expectations because the last one was in september 2021 so i feel like when you're promising a lot of first party reveals and you're we're expecting to hear from some of these and we know that you're working on all these live service games to not really do any of that. It's almost like you could have maybe just did a state of play with Spider-Man at the end. Like, I don't really think this needed to be a showcase. They, I don't think they set expectations very well. Yeah. So, uh, 
I'll quickly say that my my game was going to be Phantom Blade Zero. I just thought that looked really cool. It had some cool gameplay. It looked very like uh, I don't know, like it, it looked like it could be like kind of Soulsy, but also had its own personality. And I kind it of looked like Sekiro. See... Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, I said Soulsy, but yeah, it looked like Sekiro, um, which I didn't even finish. But I'm so in my head, I'm in my, I'm, I'm kind of like hoping it's more Soulsy than Sekiro, just because Sekiro is just hard. Uh, whereas the Souls game is not usually that hard. Um, but my follow-up question was, I've seen a lot of people rate the PlayStation Showcase, uh, like people giving it ratings and stuff. And yeah, that was my issue with it. It was very um, like trailer CGI-ish. It didn't really show me anything I was like, I, I get usually get excited for these showcases. Um, and other than Spider-Man, like I wasn't really all that excited. Uh, it was cool to see Ghost Runner 2 and, for me, uh, Dragon's Dogma 2. Um, but uh, it it kind of felt like it could have been a state of play. Uh, I think one of my favorite yeah. things that PlayStation ever did was at E3 a few years back when it, um, it only showcased four games, but it really gave you, like, you, after that, you're like, I want to play Ghost of Tsushima. This one was kind of like, I, I want to play Spider-Man, but I already knew I wanted to play Spider-Man. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, for me, I think it was a solid third-party showcase, guest-starring mm-hmm. Spider-Man versus, yeah. I think, <laughs> but I think it was like a, a kind of a bad first-party showcase. Um, and yeah. again, if they simply went into this, like, the last state of play, which I think was February, was very good, was, was pretty solid. And what they actually did going in was, you know, it's going to be like 20 or 30 minutes of you know, PS5, PSVR, indie games, you know, and then we're going to end it with like 15 minutes of Suicide Squad or whatever it was, right? Uh, I feel like if they did that, like we're going to do like a 30-minute state of play with Spider-Man at the end, or even if they just said with TBA first-party game, I don't know. I feel like that would have been better because, again, th- and you're, th- the timing of this you have to consider too. They're literally doing it in E3 time, basically. Totally, so, 100%. Like, exactly. Like, literally, in two weeks from now is Summer Game Fest and Xbox and Ubisoft. Yep. And it's like, there's are going to be really big showcases, presumably. Th- they could be underwhelming. We don't know. But point being, those are the traditional big showcases. So PlayStation doing it now, again, over a year and a half after the last one, kind of tells people... You know, gamers often set themselves up for disappointment. I get that. But in this case, I think it was fair to expect a little more, especially given what PlayStation was saying and doing. And we didn't really get that, I don't think. I totally agree. And that was one thing I was really considering. I think I was getting a little, like, amped up just because of this time of year. This is the time of year you should begin amped up on gaming. Um, And it just kind of let me down. Which is uh, a bit unfortunate. Um, like even one of the one of the actual like pretty notable announcements they made, especially like relevant for our audience, is they confirmed their new handheld, which has been rumored for a while. Um, that was cool. Project Q, I should have mentioned. I think is yeah. Project it's Q. Yeah, Project that was Q. My next um, thing. I should have mentioned yeah, that as it, one of my favorite things. But you know, to to the point that was, was rumored for a little while. You know, they have at least they haven't done any handheld hardware since the Vita, which was a, a very big commercial disappointment, right? The way they announced that, it's like Jim Ryan, who's not really well liked and pretty awkward and doesn't really have any personality. You know, he came out and just kind of said, you know, we got one more game. But before that, I'm going to announce this hardware. They play like a 20 second video, no other details. And then they go straight into Spider-Man. Like it almost felt like they were burying that because they knew that everyone cares about Spider-Man. Right. I feel like that could have had its own 
fanfare, like even its own video, its own PlayStation blog post. It didn't even get a blog post. Uh, I was checking. I kept checking. You know? Buried in so another one. Yeah, it was just buried. And it's like, this is kind of interesting. Even Xbox, like they did like a blog post about like that Logitech cloud gaming handheld that they're partnered with. Like, but Sony just kind of buried that. And I, I just thought that was weird. It's like, but do we, do we like the idea of project Q? Sorry. I, I, that was going to be one of my next questions. And I know you guys don't have the doc, but uh, I yeah, don't really, we... I don't really know what to think of it because they didn't really reveal much. I mean, based on the rumors, it was suggesting that it was, it had to be like connected to Wi-Fi, and, you know, um, which is kind of limiting. Like it's, it's not a switch or it's not a Vita. Like people no. were hoping for, I mean, they were never going to do another one of those anyways, that mar- that ship sailed, but it feels like it's in that weird space in between where it's like, cause it's got a big screen on it. So it's going to have to be priced somewhat expensive, right. Relative to like a mobile accessory. So I just don't really know who it's, who it's going to be for assuming it, it is just the, you can stream PlayStation games to your mobile phone sort of thing. It reminds me of the razor edge or even like backbone controllers. And I wouldn't be surprised if like a few months from now or even weeks at this point because we know nothing about it that something comes out to indicate that there's a partnership with one of those like pre-established companies that's actually handling the manufacturing or branding or whatever of this thing because that it, it just seems like a razor edge to me which is a device with like two controllers and a screen that pops in in the middle and like i i like handheld stuff i've always enjoyed handheld gaming more than console gaming it's why the switch speaks to me but like if it's just a device that has a Wi-Fi connection and it can't play games on its own. I, that doesn't really work for me. Like, I don't know what I would use that for. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I don't even know how I would use that at home, like play PS five games from my bed or something like that. I'd I'd likely rather just play my switch from my, from my bed and play my PS five in front of my TV. Oh yeah. And to your point, like to me, it feels a little dated in the sense that, all of the other companies are doing just direct streaming to your phone. Like Xbox is doing that. Stadia. Was yeah, you doing don't need that. this Luna, device. Luna does that. You know, NVIDIA GeForce Now does that. So like if the only mobile streaming options that PlayStation are, is going to support is you need to ha- be connected to your PS5 for remote play or you need this device that might be what? $200? Who knows? Uh, if it's got a screen and everything, you know. To, to stream the games i feel like that's very limited like the idea that you could just pay for playstation plus and then stream games to your phone like what xbox does i feel like that's what they should be going for and maybe they will eventually but this is just i don't know <laughs> so my main question about that is why would someone want i, I guess they said an eight inch screen which is a pretty nice size but why would someone want that over backbone like isn't like it doesn't backbone serve the well, same if, purpose i know it uses your phone if that's but... if that's the only place you can stream these games right so correct me if i'm wrong can can you currently stream games locally to like an iphone or something like that with the playstation 5 is that possible with remote play yeah, yeah. with remote, with remote play, yeah. play so Which i don't know, backbone <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know that it was if you can already like... do that like it was very like, well, if you, if you need remote play to play it, then I'd ba- rather buy a backbone that I know the screen isn't as big or nice, but it will be cheaper. And it's, I don't know. I, I understand that they were like, oh, everything you could do with the dual sense. So I'm sure it will have the dual senses like vibration. It, or It mobile? looks good. I can't remember what it's called. Like it looks but, good. It yeah. looks like a PlayStation Five DualSense controller. Like it seems like a solid device based on the renders that we've seen. But to your point, Dean, like I don't, 
Like, I don't know who this is for. And I think they don't know who it's for, but they feel like they got to release one of these things because Xbox is doing it and Xbox is doing it with partners. And I think to your point, Brad, that's part of why they kept it low key. They don't want to make a big deal out of it. They don't want to present it as like the successor to the PlayStation Vita because it's not. It's just this device with a screen that can play streaming games. And I, I half think that like they don't even want to do it. They just feel like they have to to, to keep up probably with their competitor. prototyped it for so long and they probably were working on it for a while. And just at this point, you know, let's just release it. But yeah, that yeah, said, I want to try I, it. I, I love stuff like this. So I'm, I'm hyped. Yeah, I want to try it, it too. But I also just want to also get a backbone. So, I mean, hey. <laughs> and even then, like we were writing about uh, at the time of recording, you know, the backbone uh, PlayStation version released on iOS last year. And it uh, came to Android yesterday. That was the yeah. end. Um, yeah. And even then, that's like $140 Canadian. And that doesn't have a screen, right? So you figure if you're throwing in the 8-inch screen and whatever haptic feedback sort of stuff that they might throw in, like, Again, like I, I would, it's going to be over two hundred bucks, right? And it's, it's totally going to gonna like, be two hundred over two hundred bucks. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I just don't understand who that's for at that price level, especially when the PS Five itself is so expensive, right? I mean, everything is so expensive, but I mean, the PS Five especially is like, you know, went up twenty bucks. It's so yeah. I just, I don't know who it's for. <laughs> so this conversation is getting a little depressing because I mean, who who needs this? Uh, so let's move on to something that everyone needs in their life. Uh, a little bit of uh, Zelda. I was going to call it Project Zelda because we're talking about Project Q. Uh, but uh, Zelda. Uh, so Legend of the Zelda Tears of the Kingdom came out. Uh, Patrick reviewed it for the site. Uh, and you got it ahead of everyone else. Uh, how was that experience? And then also, how did that experience of having it ahead of everyone else feel comparative when you had it, a Breath of the Wild ahead of everyone else? Could you also review that? Yep. So I, I was pretty cautiously optimistic about the game. Like I, I tried it in New York at a Nintendo event and I was impressed with what I played, but it really felt like I needed to dive in and experience the full game to kind of get, get more of a feel for it. Like it wasn't enough that I tried out. Um, I, I would say that like playing it ahead of release wasn't quite as exciting as it was when I played breath of the wild ahead of release. But I think that's because kind of knew more what to expect right like i wrote about it a lot in the mm. review like this is a sequel it's a sequel to an, a, a game that was genre defining and was a reinvention of like a historic iconic franchise we kind of like knew what what we were going to see that said there there was a lot of stuff that i was surprised about like and i'm, I'm sure we'll get into it like going to the depth to the first for the first time which like covers the entirety of hyrule that was like a wow moment that i didn't expect that i didn't experience in the preview um, there's other stuff too, like certain contraptions that I've built with Zonai devices, or even some of the puzzles in, in the shrines are, are very inventive. Um, and one of the things that I was really worried about going into the experience was the fact that it takes place in the same map. That was my biggest fear was like, it's going to feel the same because what I enjoyed the most about Breath of the Wild was doing side missions and just exploring and discovering stuff. So I assume that because it takes place in the same map that like, that sense of wonder and just like stocking up a bunch of meals and going off on an adventure into the mountains wouldn't be as interesting because it's in the same world. And thankfully that's not the case at all. Like there's tunnels, there's caves and tunnels everywhere. The maps change significantly. It's been six years since I played 
Breath of the Wild, to be honest, and I don't remember a lot of it, which I think helps. But it it felt very fresh. Um, and it, it also, like, with games like this, the pre-release, if you're playing them ahead of release before guides and everybody else has them, it, it can get, like, pretty frustrating at times. They're, like, I got... St- I, I played probably... 45 hours i think before i I wrote my my review quote unquote of the game and i got stuck so many times and there was instances where i was stuck for hours and i was talking to brad about this when we're in the office on tuesday and some of it was like dumb stuff that like i should have just known but i didn't because i missed like a text prompt or something like that and there's no one you can turn to to help you out to figure that out um, and I guess the one example I would give is in the water temple, which relatively straightforward temple, pretty easy. I, for the record, I, I hated the process of getting there and then I hated the platforming getting in. But once I was in the temple, it was, it was a pretty solid experience. Um, there's like these little, this isn't really a spoiler. There's like, a like these water wheels that you kind of un- unlock and then you have to make them turn. And I just, for the life of me could not figure out how to make them turn. And you just use the, the ability that the Zora dude gives you, but that didn't like, for whatever reason, it didn't occur to me. And I was stuck on it for no joke, like three hours, just trying everything, like overthinking it using like a Zonai fire hydrant, like building contraptions <laughs> to try to turn it. And like, I was just sitting there swearing at my switch, trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say that like, it's still a fun experience playing it ahead of release. And it was, it was nice to have to just rely on my own means to solve puzzles but it, it can also still be frustrating at times. But I, I also love the game. It's great. It's it's a sequel in every sense of the phrase, but it also builds on uh, Breath of the Wild in incredibly meaningful ways. And the game has managed to surprise me over the, the last couple, the last dozens of hours that I've played it. Cool. Uh, both of you guys are way ahead of me in this game. So I've played the game. I'm currently helping some, I think it's an old lady, a small lady, a small old man, something like that. And I'm in the depths or something, and I'm in a shrine. Uh, I, I I have a lot more to do in this The dude with the goggles? Because, yeah, the dude with the goggles. Yeah. Uh, because I am, was trying to focus more on Star Wars. I really only played it when I was flying, and I'm flying again this weekend, so I'll play it again this weekend a bit. Um, but I, I want to live vicariously through you two, how much are you loving the, the game? Uh, and now that, especially that the whole world is playing it too and talk disc online discourse about it, what is that experience like? We'll start with Brad this time. Uh, yeah, I actually beat the campaign last night uh, at, oh, just over 50, at just over 55 hours. I mean, obviously there's a bajillion things still to do in the game. Uh, it's one of the greatest games of all time, uh, straight up. Okay. I'm, and I'm someone who didn't, necessarily say that about breath of the wild i really enjoyed breath of the wild um but i think some of the things held it back uh, the usual boring zelda story the the breakable weapons i thought were extremely frustrating um i felt the open world wasn't as compelling to do a lot of the shrines were very repetitive in the first game like something like i'm, I'm making this That's number true. up but it felt it felt like a quarter of them were just combat trials which were like or like use the gyroscope to roll the ball down which was very frustrating when you're on the go on ttc and you're bumping and bouncing um but this game basically addresses every issue i had and then some like uh all the shrines are so varied um the way the the game is designed is that 
you know, you can approach a lot of these shrines in multiple ways. Like they'll just give you a few pieces to build something and how you build that or how you use them is totally up to you. And I've like, if I've been stumped on something or even if I, I managed to do something, I just went on YouTube and like watched a, a video of someone going through that shrine and he did it in a completely different way as me. And I'm like, holy crap, I didn't even know you could do that because the game, you know, gives you all these tools right from the start, which I think is one of the smart things that it does so that everything in the world is just kind of your playground. Like it really is a sandbox. Uh, we talk about that a lot with open worlds, but it really does feel like a sandbox, which is why, you know, when people were, I totally understand your apprehension about it being the same world, but you know, I think what people don't appreciate, first of all, the Switch hardware being so dated, the fact that they even made this game on the Switch, but just the fact that they had to account for the fact that one of the abilities is Ascend. You could literally go up and through the through the ceiling above you anywhere so in cool. the game. Like it's so cool. People, I, my very limited knowledge of, of game development based on the developers I've spoken to and, and the stuff I've read, that's a like a, a, a programming nightmare. Like, that should break the game, being able to do that anywhere. And the fact that this is a game that you have the skies, the, the the mainland, and then the depths, and you can dive all the way down to below. There's very little draw distance, considering it's the Switch. Very little, like, pop-in or, you know, sort of uh, frame rate drops. So the fact that all that just works is is incredible. Like, and even the recall, like, that ability tracks, Recall's crazy. you know, yeah. tracks the movement data of pretty much anything. And so the game remembering that and then doing it and it all just works because that's the thing. This, this is a super polished game. Like the fact that they even said the game was like done when they delayed it last year, it was de- done. They took that whole extra year just to polish it, which I don't know how this game works. It's so it's shocking to me. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've barely played it a little bit, but I have these abilities going and ascending through things is sick. And I, all I could, the, the whole time I'm playing it, all I could think is Pokemon could never game freak could never do anything like this and it work it was it's crazy how well it works uh well and to me like to the point of you know addressing my issues with the first game like i think they kept the breakable weapons but what they did was they made it made sense now so because for me combat was never the highlight of this game or any zelda game really right and so the combat was already pretty basic, and then you had to deal with breakable weapons. But what they've done now is give you the ability to create your own weapons. So you kind of need the breakable system to balance it, right? Because if you can just create your own super powerful weapon, that would break the game. So what they've done is just, okay, you can kill a, a Bacoblin, get its like super powerful fang, and then attach it to your sword, and it'll do like 30% more damage or whatever but it's only going to last for a little bit, right? So you actually kind of have to be a little strategic with it. Like, oh, without spoiling anything, I knew I was going into the fight with Ganon, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to make sure that I craft all these great weapons and I'm going to save them because I only get a few hits out of them. I'm going to save them for Ganon or whatever sort of thing, right? Like, and, and that's the kind of, kind of thought process you have to have. And even, again, with like the side quests, what I feel like that they've done really well is they kind of encourage you to explore the world, the depths, the the skies and everything. And they have a lot of, surprisingly, they have a lot of story to them, which is, again, something I had an issue with in the first game. Like, the traditional campaign, the campaign is your traditional boring Zelda story, right? There's time travel nonsense. There's Ganon. It's Ganon again. That, who cares about all that? What's really interesting about the story (laughs) is all of the side stuff. Like, you know, I did a side quest where, like, this village, Pat and I were talking about it, 
was like overtaken by bokoblins so you had to like go in clear them out and then you're helping the townspeople rebuild the town and there's like a it's like a very Ooh, wholesome very cool. sort of community That's what i'm doing right feeling now to it's it. pretty lengthy yeah it, yeah it is pretty lengthy or you know without spoiling anything there's a really fun quest line in the depths that involves the higa clan uh, and from the first game, the returning one. So there's kind mm. of like, they've got a beef with you because you you took them out in the first game, yeah. right? So there's kind of like a fun Team Rocket style, oh, when are they going <laughs> to pop up? You know, this this bumbling clown, right? So stuff like that. There's a really cool sense of discovery in it. And, and I like that the game doesn't, you know, spell... It's not like a million waypoints on your map sort of thing. Like, again, it's the Breath of the Wild sort of just go out and explore... Even like the Ubisoft towers that they have, which I maybe could have been handled a little better, it. I think. I do like that at least there's a little bit of a puzzle involved in unlocking a lot of them. Like sometimes like the door at the top is, is closed and you have to figure out how to open it. Wait, why do you hate or... them? Oh, me? I, I just like, for me in a game like that, where it's all about exploration, I think that it should be just like the fog of war. And as, as you move through the map, it just paints it. You know what I mean? Mm. As, as opposed to like unlocking it. That, I actually really like to it. To me, it it just feels like it would it would fit better in, in a game like this. And I hate it feels like a chore going to the, the different towers and and but Brad is right, there's more variety to them than the way it worked in, in Breath of the Wild. But still I find myself like I would rather go do this mission than go find the beeline to this tower just so I can unlock the map. It 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 it's one of those things where it feels like the game's forcing me to do something that I, I don't really want to do but i feel like i have to in order to know where everything is in this particular area that's so interesting i feel like like there's a sense of accomplishment when you're like ah i can unlock this little area now because like it is really cool like just when he shoots up in the sky and that like music is playing it's very like serene sort of music and then you're just like skydiving and you can uh it's a really cool way to get aerial and then explore from there so yeah yeah, i do agree with you i i don't i kind of hope it didn't like open up the actual map but it maybe was just more of a, a visual sort of uh, perspective yeah. for you to, yeah. But uh, my really my only major issue with the game really, it's not even that major, is that without spoiling it, things for I don't know how far you've gotten, Dean. I know Pat would know Ooh. what I'm talking about, but the sages that you work with in the in the shrines uh, in the main temples, they all have powers that you can use, which is really cool, and I think that's a fun addition to combat. But the way you activate them is very annoying because they just kind of like run around in the arena. NPC controlled and you have to run up to them and press A to get them so to annoying. activate their ability. It's so tedious, especially when you're in the heat of a battle. He's off, you know, like without spoiling anything, I was doing a big fight yesterday where there was like maybe 15 or 20 guys on screen at once. So it's just all my shrine people, the sages, all these guys. It's just a giant, uh, you know, chaotic mess. And I'm trying to run over to the Rito girl, uh, the Gerudo girl, because she's got lightning arrows but she's all the way over there. I feel like mm. you're already going into the menu a lot in this game to, uh, you know, do food or equipment Anything, weapons. Really. So I feel like, because uh, generally the co- player, you know, developers sometimes try to avoid making you go into a venue menus too often, but this game, you're already doing it a lot. So I feel like they should have had like a power wheel sort of thing, like in Dragon Age or Mass Effect, where you can like, once you have them all equipped, you can just kind of command them to totally, do that. Yeah, that would make more sense. I feel like yeah. that would... Because some of the boss fights require their abilities, so it's very frustrating when to do that. So I feel like that was a weird oversight on Nintendo's part, but otherwise, uh, I'm loving everything about the game. Patrick, still loving it after you reviewed it, and it's been hours and hours of more gameplay. I think you've, you've what are you probably at 100 hours now? 
I think I'm at like I, I slowed down a bit because I've been busy, but I think I'm at like sixty hours now. At, at oh, okay, point. okay. I I'm still I'm still having fun. Like I'm not doing the the temples, um, mm-hmm. because it's almost like one of those games. that's so good that I don't I don't wanna want feel to feel like it. I finished yeah. it, even though that like I, I I know that the temples like it's you're not done. It's just like symbolically you're finished the story. So mm-hmm. I've, I've been doing a lot of side missions. Um, and to echo what Brad said about the the shrines. They don't feel repetitive, and and I find myself actually wanting to do them. Whereas in the first, like in Breath of the Wild, they felt like a bit more of a chore because they were so identical, and were often just like kill all these enemy kind of tasks. One in particular that stands out to me um, that I often cite as an example, and I think I, I may have even mentioned it in the office on Tuesday. Um, there's like this little ball that floats over water, and there's a, I guess like a button that's on on the ceiling. And I, I could not for the life of me figure out what the hell I was supposed to do to hit that button because you drop the ball and it would bounce, but it wouldn't quite reach the ceiling. So I, I like cheesed the system and like made bomb arrows and shot the button with the bomb arrows. And I made through the first two parts of the shrine doing that. And I knew that's not what the game wanted me to do. That wasn't like the path that Nintendo intended. And then when I made it to the last one, I don't remember the circumstances, but I couldn't use the bomb arrows anymore. I had to figure out whatever the like crux of this shrine was and just through random experimentation i discovered that it's you got to pull the ball under the water which then gives it like just based on physics yeah, like, like, like science brain, yeah yeah it, it shoots up farther yeah. and then we'll hit the button that was one of the, like it's a very minor thing not a huge like story moment or dungeon or anything it was just like a regular shrine that was one of the moments that i had where i was like that's that's really freaking cool like that i've had that feeling yeah and i've had that feeling consistently playing the game like even like one of the um one of the shrines is like a jenga tower one of them is like a pinball machine and it's just so cool how that works and uh again like the fact that you can you know approach these in your own way which i think you know when the game was coming out and we we finally learned what the gameplay was where you could like build things people were like is this Zelda? Like, to me, that doesn't really sound like it's Zelda. And like, but actually having playing it, I'm like, it's so Zelda. Like, a huge part of Zelda is puzzles, right? And so this game is literally just, how do you want to solve the puzzle? So it's very much in that same spirit of the series, except it's actually giving you player choice, where it's not just, oh, you have to find this abstract. Sometimes, because sometimes Zelda games, the puzzles can be really abstract and annoying, right? You know, it's often not the case of, oh, you have to find the super abstract solution to the puzzle. Just create your own which is cool. And like, even in the open world, you can build so many cool things. Like even earlier today, I saw someone built a metal gear, like a giant robot shooting. You know, we've seen flaming. Yeah. Bombs. That's really cool. We've seen. Yeah. I've seen a the, lot of like, crazy things. Kaiju. Like yeah. people are building such cool things. And like, I not even half as creative to come up with that kind of stuff, but just knowing that that's something you can do in the game and it doesn't break the game either. Like it's just, it works. It's crazy. I, I had I had said that in my preview too that like some of the Zonai abilities and and the building made it feel unzelda like, but I think part of that was just like it was a very small segment of the game where you got to do yeah. like three things, right? So after experiencing the whole thing, like I definitely would go back on that. It it, it I don't want to say it feels like a reinvention of the franchise like Breath of the Wild because it doesn't, but in a sense it still does because it opens it's like 
it's like turning breath of the wild up to 10 right like the freedom that you had in that game that i loved about it and made it like one of my favorite games of all time has now like just amplified to a to a crazy level where you can if you can think it you can probably do it will it work maybe like one of the things that i still do um and some people probably don't like it because you're not doing precisely what nintendo wants you to do but i solve a lot of puzzles by just building bridges like building really really long bridges <laughs> Me too. Or, or, or like <laughs> platforms that are like on an angle and i climb up them yeah. and like because I, I can't so, figure out what Nintendo wants me to do, but the game lets me do that. And I think that's an incredible game design. Yeah, like um, to their credit, yeah. right? Like there's a lot of developers who would not want you to do your own thing. And there's a, like even I remember I was at an accessibility conference last year and it was someone from Ubisoft talking about adding accessibility to Far Cry. And they're basically saying, you know, they they were doing they very they had a very particular thing in mind of how you, you oh you should only use this gun and this gun or whatever in this scenario but then they realized like someone who's a disabled player wanted more options and they're like well why wouldn't we let them do that right like it, yeah. it's kind of like a, a bit of a hubris to, to suggest that they should only do it this way yeah and that's what i love about nintendo like they with this game they have the the, the respect and the trust in the player to just do whatever you want and the fact that they polish the game so well that whatever players are doing somehow isn't breaking the game again it's incredible. Yeah, I, I read your review because uh, you had us read your review, and uh, you talk about I forced, Zelda... you at, forced you at gunpoint to read it. Uh, you, it felt like you did. I was very tired though. I was in a different country, but uh, when I I uh, you talk about building a bridge, and I was just like, oh, should I just build long bridges too? So I've been doing that a bit as well. Thank you for That's that. Cool. <laughs> yeah, the, the game's a, a technical marvel. It runs incredibly smoothly. Uh, it's amazing that it even works on the Switch. That said, I can't help but wonder how much better it would look if it was running on a more modern console or the mythical Switch 2 or something like that. And I, and I know that's that's not like what Nintendo is doing with the game, I just like there's times where I'm I'm looking at like the horizon and it just looks like muddy crap. And I'm like, I wish this was in it, it doesn't need to be like 4K 120 or something. But I, I just like part of me wishes that Nintendo's developers had more, um, I guess, technical headroom to do things in games. And I think in some ways, the lack of technical headroom forces them to be more creative and forces them to create a more polished game. So there's advantages and disadvantages on both sides, but that, um, that like specs guy in, inside me, like every once in a while I'll see like, uh, the horizon and it'll just like look muddy and gross. And I'm like, oh, man, I wish this was in, in hey, at least you're playing on a switch OLED and not on a switch light. It looks uh, the same. Like you know how many people <laughs> I've talked to, like just friends who 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 are buying this game that are trying to like justify buying the OLED. Like the OLED's nice. It's sick. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But, it, like but the fun. game looks the same on it. It looks yeah. it looks the same. Brad and I had our uh, Brad Patton and I had our, both our switches beside each other, and it looked the same. Sorry, Brad. And to their credit, you know they they did take the. The, the art style is is very nice like it's the same it's in a similar vein to wind waker where it's very stylized and like watercolor in this case so that's going to age very well like i think even yeah when i agree to switch to sort of thing it would look good uh what i'm hoping for and i'm not super optimistic because the gaming industry obviously likes to chase trends but what i would hope the, uh, jason schreier even had a funny tweet to this similar effect but you know 
I would hope that people would take the message from this game that you don't need to have it necessarily be 4K 120, like you were saying. Like that's obviously not what you were asking for either. But I mean, other people mm-hmm. who were who were saying that, right? Like you don't need to have every game be the most graphically intensive thing if you're doing no. more interesting things with the tech. Otherwise, like because that's the thing with this game, right? They what's impressive with it from a technical perspective is all the physics that they've done and like the the freedom of the world. So like I just feel like I hope more companies do that. Uh, follow that instead of oh we just need to have you know uh weird physics yeah and and like i i to also like to be fair the game does look really good like there's times where it looks absolutely beautiful and i'm amazed that it's running on the switch uh there's just there's just that part of me that that cares about fidelity that wonders what this in an alternate universe what this would look like like running on the ps5 or the xbox series x or something but i also can fully acknowledge that that's not the point of what nintendo's trying to do with this game and to speak about a game that is on the xbox series x and the playstation 5 and looks amazing well let's briefly talk about star wars we don't have too much time uh a lot of time left but uh the, uh, star wars uh, is Star Wars Survivor? No, Star Wars Jedi, Jedi Survivor. Survivor. I just get the name mixed up. Uh, I played a lot more of that game. I still haven't finished it just because I've just haven't been playing games. I haven't had the time or the energy. Uh, but I think I'm pretty far. Uh, this wasn't isn't a spoiler, I don't think. But I or I guess maybe it is. But I mean, hopefully people are listening. Have are either seen the trailers for the game because now I'm fighting the. Uh, the uh, Rebus, this Gagan? big, the the big purple squid oh, guy. Yeah, yeah, Rebus. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. fighting him. Uh, on, I think it's like gonna be the final boss battle for him. I'm I'm at that point now, and up until this point, I've had so much fun with the game. I uh, I really love it. I I have to like be in the perfect headspace to play it now, though where I have to turn off all the lights and my blinds and just have watching on my screen because it's such like a white it's like a movie theater like experience because it's it's such it's kind of like I'm watching a movie but I'm playing a game at the same time it's very like narrative heavy in the same way I would I kind of would do the same thing when I played Miles Morales as well just because it, it just gets me in that like oh this is so great zone That's cool um and yeah, I've been loving it so much I've uh, I think that this game similar to Zelda, uh, really improves everything. Uh, it's a successor, right? But it really improved everything in, in, uh, compared to the first one in so many different ways, so many ways to move around the maps. Um, now, I mean, the fact that there's even fast travel uh, around the maps is a huge improvement. Uh, the, the fighting, you know, more inclusion of BB uh, with like the, the goop gun. I don't know. I've really loved this game. Um, but, Brad, you finished the game and you reviewed it from Mobile Syrup. So, I want to hear some of your thoughts. Yeah, I loved it too. I think it was a, a very good sequel in a lot of ways. It was. It's one of my favorite things for we've gotten from Star Wars in a long time, maybe ever. I think for me, you know, I'm, I'm really tired of seeing everything set in the same time period. Like, not everything needs to relate to the Skywalker saga. But. Having said that, if you're going to do something in that time frame, do something interesting with it. And I think that's what Respawn has done. You know, we talked about it on a previous podcast, but the first game was very much about the sort of survivor's guilt and PTSD that you would have as a Jedi Padawan who survived, you know, Order 66. And so that was really a, a nice, pleasant surprise about that story. It was very emotional and, and grounded in that. 
And in this game, it's very much, you know, now that Cal has found a family that, you know, because he lost his whole family with the Jedi, now that he's found a family, to what lengths will he go to protect them? And so it's kind of like a darker, even darker sort of like Empire Strikes Back kind of story, which I really appreciate in that sense. Uh, obviously not going into any spoilers, but they really do explore that in a lot of fun ways, um, which I, I like it from that perspective. And yeah, like you said, the, the uh, a lot of the improvements over the first game, in especially in terms of exploration, like the first game, there was no fast travel, so it was very tedious. Uh, a lot of the rewards that you got were literally just ponchos, like ponchos, new ponchos <laughs> for Cal. But now you get a ton more customization options as well as like upgrades uh, for your for your stuff, right? I th- I find it hilarious. It's such a video game thing that you can find like new hairstyles for Cal in a yeah. chest in yeah. like this random cave. Like yeah. you can just find like mutton chops for him in like this danky yeah, swamp, I, which is I remember finding my first hairstyle and I was like, "What the hell? This is, this is how you get this?" I saw all the hairstyles in a in a TikTok of just like switching between the different looks and yeah. it was like the the funniest thing because it's always the same dude just with like different hair but it was Cameron amazing Meyer, like yeah. yeah it was just like amazing how much it changed his his overall look i, I, I thought cool. you would have to go to like a, a barber or something but no just to find them out in the wild is a weird thing and there's so just a space barber yeah yeah exactly i don't know poke one does it and i like <laughs> I like how they don't even like try to give like an in-game explanation for it. Like, oh, he found a picture of like someone from like 50 years ago with a hairstyle. Oh, I'm inspired by it. Like sort of thing. It's like, no, it's just straight up. He finds a hairstyle. (laughs) It's so funny. Uh, But, but I mean, Hey, it's one of those fun video games, uh, video game things. But yeah, just the, I love that the exploration, like the planets are so much bigger, but they're also not open world, which is nice because I feel like so many games feel like they just need to be open world for no reason. uh, And it just feels tedious. Um, but this game, they feel purposeful. Like, obviously, it's got the, the soul style. You unlock shortcuts as you go along. So it feels, like, very interconnected. But there's a lot of fun exploration to it. Like, a lot of the times, if you speak to, like, an NPC in the cantina, they'll just kind of give you a vague, oh, there's something over in the boons. Like, you want to go check that out. And then you go and find it. And, oh, it's a cool boss fight or it's a cool side quest or whatever. So I, I like that there's a sense of discovery with that. So just a quick question for you guys, um, not not to cut off the the conversation, but as a as a casual Star Wars fan, that's what I would describe myself as. Do you think I would enjoy this game? Because third person action games usually aren't aren't my bag, but I've seen like clips and stuff of it, and it like has piqued my interest in some ways. Do you guys think that I would be into it at all? I don't. I think you think would. So. Um, oh, I mean, I think to their, to their credit, I think what Respawn did really well is they knew that this is a Star Wars game, right? So it has a much larger appeal than a lot of other things. And so they took like the from this from software formula, but made it very approachable, which I think is, is it, you know, because you don't want people want Dark Souls to say hard like it is. That's cool. But you have a lot more options in this game. It is easier, That's first true. of all, and then You're you have right. difficulty options. So because I feel like for you, Pat, and I'm kind of the same way a lot of your roadblock for those games is just they're too punishing, right? Like, you don't find that enjoyable. Yeah, like, I, like I honestly, like, I usually only have an hour a night, if that, to game, right? And I don't want to, like, feel like I'm not progressing through an experience, and that's part of why, um, like, Dark Souls never worked for me. Um, it's not that I don't like difficult games. Like, I play difficult games. I just need to feel like I'm progressing. And that, that's to, what... I feel the same way. Yeah. yeah. To anyone on the podcast, uh, Patrick played through Celeste. And I, yeah, can, I beat the I whole thing hundred percent. I couldn't. I couldn't get anywhere near that. I, that game is hard. So, 
He does play actually, games. I actually finished <laughs> it. That's a, pr- a proud accomplishment accomplishment on my part. I was just going to say, just having, I think, the difficulty options were... Because they know that some people just want to play through like a, a fun galaxy-exploring adventure, Star Wars, that kind of de-emphasizes the combat in some ways. So Cool. Um, Good to know. You yeah. could do that. Yeah, thinking about that, I, in my head, it, was, it would be too difficult or too Souls-like-y for you. But no, Brad's right. You can really tone that down and really make it a more enjoyable experience. Uh, not saying, like, for me, that Souls-like-y experience is what I find really enjoyable. Uh, but, yeah, I think you would really like it. It seems like a... It's such a good story. It's such a good Cool, good story. to know. I, I have a copy of it. I just have not sat down and played it. I sort of, in my mind, like, I'm going to take a bunch of time off this summer, and I like to have games lined up for that that vacation and that's one of the ones that i plan to dive into because um it does look cool does appeal to me cool and last but not least but maybe least i think probably least let's talk about uh redfall just briefly i I, you gave me a code i it's on game pass anyone can play it i still haven't touched it yet just because i've been too busy or too just not having the time and Two, not really interested based off the reviews. Um, should I play it? Would I like it? I played a, a few hours. I, you know, it's like even because obviously I was playing it before, shortly before the review embargo lifted. So I didn't know what other people's thoughts were. But like playing it, I'm like, yeah, this is very underwhelming. Like it doesn't feel in any way really like an arcane game, which isn't necessarily a bad thing if they're trying something new. But it doesn't have any of that kind of like polish or like mm. interesting. They're the only the closest thing I can say is some of the levels are open ended enough that you can kind of approach them in different ways, like how you want to get into them. That is very S- arcane, arcane style. Yeah, okay. But but other than that, like I mean, it 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 like first of immediately while I was playing it, I'm like this just feels like every other zombie game I've ever played, just with uh, uh, vampires, vampires, right? And and the AI is even worse than some of those zombie games, like. Like you can cheese it so easily, they they don't think at all. It's just the cutscenes are literally just still images with voiceover over them. I'm like, this is something from like the PS2, even uh, like a PS Vita, PSP game sort of thing, right? Like a handheld game. Why is this in a marquee? And this is a game that's only on Xbox Series X and S, right? Like you wouldn't have thought that um, just looking at it, or like when you hear that, you wouldn't have thought, oh, this is what we got out of being current gen only, like. It just it feels very underwhelming, and like I, I don't like to speculate, you know, on what what happened behind the scenes. But I would love to to get like a Jason Schreier sort of story on like what happened behind the scenes making this game because it just knowing everything else that Arcane's ever done, it's just this is like the weird outlier, right? Yeah, that's very strange. I I reviewed Prey, I played Deathloop, and review and played both, not both. There's just three Dishonored, so I played Dishonored one, and I still haven't finished Dishonored two. Um, but I really like they're Arcane all great games. games. Yeah, I really like Arcane games. So I was really excited for this game, and then just to see how much, like, it's it seems like Arcane wasn't really ready to take that departure from their style of games. Like, I I, I don't know. I, I I had so much hope for this game, and I don't think I'm gonna play it. With the trailers and stuff, I had like zero interest in it. it didn't seem like a game that i would enjoy like didn't stand out in any way so i was always a little bit confused why people were were so hyped about it um but that said like i'm surprised that it got such negative reviews and has has so many technical issues like 
I'm shocked that Xbox let it at the door in in that state. Like I would think someone would step in and be like, look, releasing this game is going to be worse for our reputation than delaying it yet again. Like maybe we should hold this back six months, even a year, whatever it took to make it something worthwhile. From what I um, go ahead well, to your point, like, no, I agree with you. And, you know, Phil Spencer, head of Xbox, had a very candid interview with kind of funny. Just right shocking. Came out. And I'm kudos to him for doing that. First yeah, of all, totally. but you know, that was the first interview where he was really asked about the Redfall stuff. And yeah, you know, he freely admitted that, you know, that game should have been delayed or whatever, but reading between the lines of what he said and what, you know, we've heard from like Jason Schreier and everything. Like, I think part of the problem is Xbox gives a lot of autonomy to Bethesda and, you know, in a way that's a good thing, right? You know, you don't want to be too forceful, but at the same time, you can pretend all you want that Bethesda operates independently. They are still an Xbox game studio. So if they're releasing a game on your service, especially on Game Pass, this is like a flagship Game Pass title, it should be high of a higher quality. Even, you know, quality is even subjective, but even technically, like it shouldn't have had all those issues, right? So I think, yeah, they need to kind of evaluate that more. And Um, like I I was going to play it because I I play a lot of games with my brother and one of his friends and they were excited about it. And I typically just go along with whatever they're going to play. Um, and it was so bad that like they're not even going to touch it. And these guys play like yeah, a lot of games. It's free. That's the big thing. Like, yeah, yeah, everyone that's already pays for yeah. Game Pass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're all like, oh, no, Great I think point. my next Game Great Pass point. game is going to be Cassette Beast. Um, <laughs> that's like a Pokemon with cassettes. But um, I, I, yeah, I just I'm very surprised. I just expected uh, more from Arcane because I'm not a big fan. That's what really got me i saw that one of the characters the black chick has cool powers and arcane and i was like this game is made for me and then saw it and i was like oop no thank you well that's the that's the thing right it feels like it has an identity crisis because it wants to be like a co-op shooter where every character has like one unique power but you can also play it on your own but what that means is you only have one power so if you're playing alone, it gets very stale. Like one mm. of the cool things about arcane games is you get new powers as you play totally. along. Deathloop, yeah. you have all these cool powers that you unlock and you use them in tandem with one another, right? Yeah. But this game doesn't have that. So it just feels like a generic zombie shooter with one weird, somewhat gimmicky ability that in some cases is cool, but other times isn't. So is out of curiosity, is it at all like Left for Dead? That was the vibes that I was getting from well, the trailer. But So that's another issue. To, that's to my point of it having like an identity crisis because when it was revealed the reveal trailer was like four people fighting vampires everyone's like oh this is left for dead with vampires but then when people played it they're like oh it isn't actually left for dead it's more like far cry and it's like well that's not the vibe i was getting at all from the marketing so i feel like they didn't even know what to show from this game interesting okay and i'll just quickly say because we got to wrap up you know part of the problem with this game flopping is that there's a lot of pressure now on Starfield because yeah. Xbox has, you know, struggled with a lot of games lately, other than like some smaller hits like Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment, which were all fantastic games, which, but are more niche and smaller scale, right? They haven't really had a big AAA success in the same way that PlayStation has Spider-Man and Zelda for Nintendo, etc. God right? of War. So a lot of a lot of pressure is on Starfield now to deliver. Like and which is super unfortunate because it's a Bethesda game. <laughs> no, no, it's a it's a Todd Howard game. It's gonna it's gonna so we're supposed gonna to sky get a, the, we're the gonna get a Starfield part of the charm. Dire- yeah. We're gonna get a, a Starfield showcase In two uh, weeks? after the after the Xbox showcase. Yeah. So hopefully that because I'm kind of on the fence about that game too, so we'll have to see. I need to see more. But 
Yeah. We'll actually probably do a podcast right after that. I mean, you'll be really busy, but as soon as Brad will be really busy, I'm, I'm pointing, but people can't see. Brad will be really busy, um, but as soon as he's done uh, with Summer's Game Fest, like being there live, we will then uh, do a podcast to wrap everything up and have Brad's experience and talk about that. But this was pretty long, or probably our longest one. Uh, I know we haven't had a podcast in a month, but still kind of long. So that is it. Thanks for listening to the Syrup Arcade Cast. And where can people learn more and follow you, Patrick? I mean, everyone. You can knows follow already, me on but... Twitter at, at Patrick underscore O'Rourke. And I don't do much writing these days, but I, I did write about Zelda. You can find that on the website. Um, working on a couple other things behind the scenes, but that that's the only gaming thing that, that I've done in the last little bit. I'm still waiting for you to write about your experience playing Halo Infinite, man. Yeah, man, I don't I don't know. I had like, this whole story <laughs> in mind of like because season three was supposed to be it. It was supposed to be what like brought it back and it really didn't. I, I don't know. I I've invested so much time in that game, probably more than any game since I was a teenager. So I, I do want to write something about it at some point, but I haven't played it in three, three, four weeks at, at this point. It's the longest since the game came out. I was. I was still on it. I was still stuck to it, and some for some reason don't don't know why I've fallen off. Uh, Brad, where can people find you? And uh, you do still write, so what can people or what are people looking forward to that you have going on? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Brad Shankar, B R A D S H A N K A R. Um, I don't really have anything that's notable at the moment i mean like you said the big thing for me in two weeks is summer game fest so i'm going to be at the show so i'll be doing a lot of hands-on uh impressions interviews that kind of thing um you know that's summer game fest then there's xbox ubisoft and some other things in there i'm sure that i'm forgetting and then just a quick tease i have something coming in july which should be a really cool feature it's a long form big thing that i'm working on so that's that's exciting too but uh stay tuned basically yeah oh, that's little... yeah that's a big one I don't know what you guys are talking about, so you guys don't have to tell me as soon as we're paused, but I'm very uh, jealous of going to Summer Game Fest. I've always wanted to go to E3 or something like it, but you are definitely the man for the job. I definitely would not be able to do anywhere as near as you because you are an encyclopedia for video games. But where can people find me? What? I was just going to say ditto with me and the phone stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you. Yeah, and we, you can find me at the Daily D on Twitter, my Daily Dose on Instagram, uh, and of course, on mobilesyrup.com. Uh, I unfortunately don't have anything game related coming up, but I do have some phone stuff that should be coming up very soon in the next couple of weeks. So uh, that's not as exciting, but still uh, fun. And as always, you can find all of our content on mobilesyrup.com and follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at mobilesyrup. And uh, mobilesyrup recently launched uh, a new youtube experience called the tech effect please check that out we have all of our writers work on it as well uh brad and i uh, both have scripts coming up uh with different episodes in the future all right and that's it thank you everyone Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 